Well, hello, everybody. It's great to see you today and and coming to you from our Midlothian campus. I know there's a a lot smaller number of people that recognize all this, but uh, it is exciting to be showing uh, the whole of our church family one of our campuses and and worshiping from here today. On this day, that is Mother's Day. want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms out there, I pray this is a special day for you. It's obviously a little bit of a different Mother's Day, but certainly pray that you are have an opportunity to feel honored and, and blessed today. You know that this is a day that brings a lot of different emotions. I, I know just from last Mother's Day to this one, we have families in our church that have lost a child. Uh, we've, we've got a number of families that this is their first Mother's Day without mom. And there's a variety of other things going on that can really bring a lot of of emotion to this day. I just want you to know I'm praying for you that you know the peace and the joy of the Lord on this day. He is your rest and he is your comfort. And let's remember that uh, honoring mom was not the idea of American greetings or Hallmark. Uh, That was actually God's idea that we honor mom. And we certainly want to honor mom here at the Heights. And so what we're doing today in honor of mom, we're giving everybody ice cream. You, You don't even have to be a mom. You don't even have to have mom in the car. Although I would suggest bring mom with you if she's around. But uh, six o'clock to seven o'clock today at both campuses, uh, drive up to the to the campus of your choice and uh, our staff will be there gloved, masked. I think I did that backwards. Uh, gloved and masked and we will be handing out ice cream sandwiches. We're looking forward to the opportunity just to see your face and, and be able to wave at you and share that ice cream. Well, we are today continuing our series in Revelation. And you know, when we open this book, I mean, this is one of the most exciting books in the Bible. I I might even say it's one of the most exciting books written in history, even outside of the Bible. And and when I say that, you know, that it's exciting, man, we come into this book and we're looking for some very specific things. We're looking for the return of the Lord, the end of the world, the Antichrist, 666, and the next two chapters in front of us have none of that. I mean, all of the stuff we're looking for in Revelation, that's not what's in the next two. I probably just undersold that. I, I hope I didn't make those these next two chapters something you don't want to hear. But but what they are is messages to seven churches at that time. And, you know, you can't kind of help but wonder, Lord, you know why we're coming into this book. Why why are we stopping here and, and getting messages to churches? And, you know, the only thing I can think to say is because Jesus is the, the speaker through all of chapter two and three. Uh, I think Jesus wanted us to hear this, wanted us to interact with this before we got to the other stuff. So as we go into this, and I guess this is true with any passage we read, this is what Jesus has for us before we jump into those things we're so excited about. Now, what is Revelation chapter 2 and 3? It is a message, seven messages to seven individual churches. The messages are very personalized to those churches. There is a form to each message. Each message or or each address to the church will start off with to the angel of that church. Theologically, biblically, I, I think it's very appropriate to think of each church having an angel that kind of oversees it. But the word angel just means messenger. And there's a number of places, not many, that that can actually, that word messenger can be applied 
to a human. I think probably for best interpretation, it is best to take it here as that 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 angel is a human messenger, more than likely the pastor of that church, the one who would be bringing the message. And I think God uses the word angel because, of course, your pastor is so angelic. <laughs> we'll move on from that. So it, it starts with that, that opening, and then it'll get into where, they, where, where Jesus will give a, a commendation, then he'll give a challenge, then he'll hold out a reward, and then each message ends with this. He who has ears needs to listen. You know, when you and I hear the word church, I think as individuals, we can kind of separate ourselves from that and say, well, this isn't for me. That's for, you know, some group of people that are in charge of the church or, or, you know, I can't do anything about that. But he who has an ear, the building doesn't have any ears. You and I have ears. That, that statement is a direct challenge to you and to me to every believer, to hear this message that Jesus gave to a particular church, and we need to be hearing, hey, what's in that for me? Every one of these messages is something that every church deals with, every believer deals with. So listen with, hey, I'm the church. I'm the one Jesus is expecting to respond here. So it's kind of interesting. I said there's seven churches. Kind of imagine the number. One, two, three, you know, seven. Okay, so the the churches are arranged like this. The two outside churches, one and seven, they're not doing so good. In two and six, they're doing really well. And then the middle churches, three, four, and five, well, they're in the middle. They're not so good, not so bad. Today, we're looking at one and seven, the church at Ephesus and the church at Laodicea. So if you would, open your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Ephesus is a, uh, is a major seaport. It is the capital of Asia Minor and is home to one of really the first century's great churches, the, the church at Ephesus. Uh, Paul was the founder of that church, was the first pastor of that church. One of his protégés, Timothy, uh, you maybe are familiar with the books First and Second Timothy. Timothy became pastor at the church in Ephesus. And then along later comes the Apostle John, the, the one who's writing down the revelation, uh, the, the great Apostle John. He ends up there as pastor for a season, for a, for a time period. So he's actually writing back to his former church. And so this is a church with a, a great heritage, but remember, one in seven, they're in trouble. So see, things aren't good right now. Boy, what a reminder. You know, a great heritage, a great past is not by itself an indicator of what tomorrow is going to be. That's such an important message, I think, for you and me at the Heights, as we have just come off of celebrating a hundred years at the Heights, a, a great heritage, a great history. That doesn't guarantee anything about tomorrow. Hey, I'd, I'd rather have a, a good heritage than a bad heritage, but I still have to rightly capitalize and move forward into the future. So that's the, the church there, at, at, at that's Ephesus. Let's see what Jesus said to that church, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, 
and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So a couple of things to just uh, uh, observe there about Jesus. Uh, First of all, it says that Jesus walks among the lampstands. Now, we saw last week that lampstand is a symbol for the, the church. So it's basically what we're saying is Jesus walks among the churches. He walks among the seven churches referred to here in Revelation. He, that was true then. It's true now. Jesus walks among all the churches. He walks among us when we are scattered and when we're gathered, when we're in the building and when we're in online. Jesus walks among us. And because of that first thing we observe about Jesus, the second's kind of obvious. He says, I know your deeds. Because he's always with us, because he walks among us, he, he knows what we're doing. And he says of that church in Ephesus, man, did you notice some of those words? Your toil, your perseverance, your endurance, your bearing up. And those are, I mean, those are good words, but they're heavy words. They're words that imply difficulty and, and effort and work. You know, I, I think, folks, Jesus, he acknowledges that following him, serving him in this world can be difficult. Hey, I believe obedience always works. I believe obedience always pays off. That doesn't always mean it pays off right away. And, and as Americans, we like things right away. Hey, hey sometimes obedience won't get us what we want right away. Sometimes obedience is not what we want inside. It's, It's not what we are naturally desiring. And sometimes when you and I are obeying and following and serving, man, the world will come against us. And Jesus looks at the church at Ephesus knowing those difficulties and he says, but man, you guys, you just keep on keeping on. You keep witnessing, you keep praying, you keep worshiping, you keep giving, you keep serving, you keep being the church. As a matter of fact, he even says here, you keep doing good theology. You keep believing the right things. You keep pushing away the wrong things, the bad things. I mean, there's so much good here that he's commending about the church in Ephesus. It's hard to imagine what's left to say something bad about. And yet he does, doesn't he? He says, hey, I, I, ha- I have this against you. You have left your first love. You, you've left that excitement, that joy you had when you were first saved. Now, what's, what's Jesus talking about there? What, what, what is happening to us? I mean, he didn't say, you've left me. He didn't say, you've stopped loving me. He said, you've, you've left your first love. You know, I think what Jesus is addressing here between us and him is very similar to what can happen in a love relationship with another person. You know, you first meet, there's that chemistry, there's that excitement, and woo, I mean, it's just, you know, you can't do enough, you can't be enough with each other. It just, you're so excited about everything. But you know, as the relationship matures, sometimes that that spark is not always sparky. 
and 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 we can just kind of get i mean i think the word we use is we get in a rut and we're just doing the next things we need to do things we're supposed to do we're getting it done but there's just that feeling of just doing what we have to do and and that's not that's not love that, that that's a that's a really unromantic duty you know i don't i want i'm going to use the word duty several times duty's not a bad word and 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 these aren't bad people. Remember what Jesus said, you believe right, you're doing right. I, I mean, there's a lot of things he commended, but that first love isn't there. Folks, Jesus didn't die because he needed workers. He, he, didn't, he didn't die on the cross. He didn't save you and me because he and the Father had some kind of need that, that if you and I would give and witness and pray and serve, that that, that would do something for them that that's not what this is about folks all the things we do in the faith all the things we do as believers we do to express trust faith to express love they're all tools to help us enjoy our savior i i guess what i'm what i'm saying is okay so there's there's love that drives us and then there's a what am i supposed to do what 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 do i have to do now <laughs> and and what does jesus say he says man go back Go back to that first love. Go back to when you were first saved. What was that like for you? Do you, do you remember that season of your life when that, that first, I mean, I can't remember that for you. I can remember for me. It was May of 1982. I don't know that you have to know the date, but I, I do know the date for me. It was May of 1982, Houston, Texas, 2nd Baptist Houston. And that summer following, that school year after that, even the summer beyond that, Folks, I remember that like it was yesterday. That was such a thrilling and exciting time when I when I first fell in love with Christ. And and you know, I never once, never would have even thought about going to my pastor or my youth pastor and saying, "Okay, so so what is it we have to do as Christians? What what is it I can't do? What is it I have to do?" That that would have never been my mentality. Oh, I went to him all right and said, "What can I do?" Hey man, what can I do? Where can I go? What what can I be? There was there was such a sense of excitement. And Jesus says, Hey, you gotta go back to that. You say, Well, how do I go back? You know, I I think it begins with remembering. That's what Jesus says. He says, Go back. Remember what that was like. Remember what was driving you. Remember what excited you. Maybe we pray, Hey Lord, would you would you help me remember? Would you help me regain some of that excitement? I think just like we can do with our mate, help me to love. Help me to be excited about. And you know, this is apparently such a significant issue to Jesus that he says to him there, you know, if you don't get this right, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What he's saying is I'm going to remove your witness. Folks, I, that's, I can't imagine a more disheartening thing for a church to hear. What Jesus is saying there is I don't want anybody to see y'all. I, I don't want the world to see you. I don't want them to I, I don't want them to think that this is what living with me and following me looks like. I don't want them to think that that this is what it is. And he he wants the world to see that love. Hey, you know what what does your family, your friends, your coworkers, your the other students in your class, what do they see when they see you following the Lord? You know, Jesus in all of his grace here, and he does this with each letter, he extends grace. 
he he holds back out the opportunity of what he's won for us. He says, you know, to the to the one who gets this right, I've got the tree of life. Now, in each of these letters, there's gonna it, it has that feeling like, okay, now some of you are gonna listen to me, and some of you are gonna get this right, and so I've got this extra reward. That's not what's happening here. That this is not an extra reward for some who get it right. The tree of life is for all of us. Jesus holds that tree of life out there as a way of reminding us when we first fell in love. You, you know, do you remember when you were dead, when you were empty, and I brought you to the tree of life, the place of abundance, the place of eternity? You know, he's reminding us of the gift that he has for all of us. Man, go back to that first love. What would that look like for you? What would that what would that mean? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When when people look at the heights, <laughs> I hope they see the hardest working church they've ever seen. And I, boy, I think right now at this very moment, I think the 804 is seeing that. They're they're seeing it in hospitals. They're seeing it at at police stations. They're seeing it all over our community. But when they see that work, oh, I hope they see the smile not just on our face, but they can see it in our heart. They, they see that love is moving. Love is driving what we're doing. Okay, our second church, Laodicea. Now I said one and seven, the first church and the last church. So now we go to the end of chapter three, chapter three, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Probably most of your translations actually say vomit. I will. That's kind of violent, aggressive language, isn't it? For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. Now listen to the three things Jesus says. You need to come get this from me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Hold on to those three things. We'll be back to that. Verse 19, those whom I love, hold on to that phrase, those whom I love. I reprove, I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So Laodicea is about 90 miles east of Ephesus. And it is a, all these cities are great cities. None of these are little villages out in the middle of nowhere. These are great cities of Asia Minor. Laodicea was known for three things. Now think of those three things we just saw in in verse 18. Uh, Laodicea is known for banking. It's a very wealthy town. It was a banking center. It is a, a kind of a textile Place. They were known for this uh, black, glossy, really uh, pretty wool 
that they produced. I, I mean, all over that continent, people wanted what came out of Laodicea. That's part of how they became so wealthy was the selling of that wool. And then they had this salve that that I, I mean, I don't know what its medicinal qualities were, but I mean, people kept coming for it. So there, there must have been something that this salve was doing for people who were struggling with eyesight, for, for people who were losing sight. Apparently, this salve made some kind of, of difference. So Jesus just took the three things this city was known for, and he used those three things to say, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. Can you imagine Jesus coming to you and me and he he actually points to the thing you think is best about you, the best character quality, the best habit, the best accomplishment. He takes the best thing about you and uses that as an illustration to show how empty and broken I am. Man, what what is going on here? What What is Jesus doing? By the way, Laodicea, I don't know if you picked it up, of the seven churches, Laodicea is the only church for whom Jesus has nothing positive to say. I mean, that, that can be true for a church. Hey, here's some good things. Here's some bad things. Hey, here's just good things. And and there may be a church. There may be some churches where Jesus says, I, I've got nothing good to say about you at all. Now, what was the issue in Laodicea? The, the issue was money. And it can be other things that lead to this same problem, but money is such a universal thing, both for the individual and the church. Remember, folks, in none of these messages is Jesus talking about the world. He's talking about believers. He's talking about the church. And money gives, there's just a great tendency that with money, we have self-sufficiency. We don't need God. Think about it this way. I think this is something we can all relate with. Here recently, we all got a uh, a stimulus check, or I assume most of us did. It came in the mail or a, a direct deposit, and and you know you get that, you see that, and you start to think to yourself, or you you have a conversation with your mate, and you think, okay, now that we've got this, we can. We, we, we can take care of this, we can buy this, we'll be able to go here. We have a sense of ability, we have a sense of opportunity because we have the money. Now, do we walk out of a time of prayer? Do, do we walk out of a worship service like we've just been in? And do we think, man, since now that I've been there, I can. I, I now have this ability, this opportunity. You know, I know. I know that the great majority of people listening to me, you you pray to trust in the Lord. We we really do want to depend upon God. But do you see, it's so natural for us to think that money is giving me ability and opportunity. We have to actually work at it to say, oh, wait a minute, God's my opportunity. God is my ability. You know, in a church... I think this is what churches do. I don't know specifically what Laodicea was doing or not doing, but it's both of these churches. It's not about activities of what they were supposed to do or not do. It's it's they were all issues of the heart. It's all attitudes. But you know what churches can do is we'll we'll put together a budget. We'll we'll put together a project, a plan, and honestly, folks, churches put together what they can do. This is what we can, with our people, with our money, with with our calendar, this is what we can do. Oh, oh, no, yeah, we'll absolutely stop and ask God to come and bless it and that God will be honored by it. But folks, the truth is what we planned, we can do it whether God shows up or not. 
that is what Jesus is spewing out of his mouth. Hey, give money, build buildings, go on mission projects, do, I mean, do, do any kind of Christian work you want. But if you're doing it in your power, your wisdom, your money, God wants to come and bless, that's even better. But you're ultimately, you're depending upon yourself. That's, that's what Jesus is saying is lukewarm. And that's what he spews out of his mouth. You know, this is all really a picture of that principle we learn in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, I'm lukewarm. Without faith, I'm something that God spews out of his mouth. Folks, it's not, the issue is not the activity. Do, do all of the activities that you think make somebody a great Christian, but do them in your own power. And Jesus says, I spew you out of my mouth. You know, I said these are very personalized messages. He talked about those three things, the whole lukewarm thing. The negative thing Laodicea was known for on the continent there is they had no fresh water. They had no fresh water source. Their water came from six miles away, and it didn't come in trucks. <laughs> there, was a, there was an above-ground canal that, that would have brought it into the city. And, and, I mean, it's traveling through the air, through the, through the sunlight. And by the time it got there, it was just, ugh. And, and you know, I, I, I hear sometimes people refer to this because you notice Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold. And they're trying to take those three words and apply them to how we live for Christ. Jesus rather have somebody cold for him than on the fence, than, than lukewarm, than average. You know, Jesus isn't talking about on the fence or being average. That's not how lukewarm is being used. This might come as a real shocker, but with the words cold, hot, and lukewarm, Jesus isn't referring to how we live for him. Guess what he's referring to? Liquid, liquid, what we, what we drink. Think about this. I hope this makes a lot of sense. Take coffee. We like our coffee hot. We like it iced. Have you ever picked up a cup of coffee that had sat there too long and it was room temp, it was lukewarm? That is bitter and nasty and you want to spew it out of your mouth. I mean, no, nobody wants it. Hot can be refreshing. Cold can be refreshing. Lukewarm, not. What makes us lukewarm? Not average. It's not sitting on a fence. It's living in our own power. We may think we're doing great things for God, but in our own power, he spews. You know, some people have looked at at what Jesus is saying to the church here and have actually used Laodicea as kind of a proof that believers can lose their salvation. I mean, when you're spewing, when you're vomiting, what is it? That's my stomach rejecting what was in it. That's my mouth rejecting. Is Jesus rejecting them? What did verse 19 say? I love you. It's because I care. It's because I love you so much. I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, I don't think a lot of us have maybe really thought of Jesus looking at you and me and saying, you know, the way you're living for me is disgusting. I spew you out of my mouth. But he says, I'm, I'm telling you that because I, I, I love you. You see, folks, what Jesus is working for is eternity. You and I got caught, get caught up living in the temporary. As a matter of fact, Jesus is saying, hey, you're, you're, you're poor, blind, and naked. And I'm going, no, I'm not. I mean, if I'm a Laodicean, I'm going, no, no, we're doing pretty good here, Lord. We, you know, we've got wealth. And the moment we die, it is instantly worthless. The moment we die, it's instantly 
meaningless. Folks, when it comes to doing things that count forever, we're poor and we're blind and we're naked. Man, how can I do something that counts forever? By faith in God. By putting yourself in a place where you have to depend upon the Lord. Let, let, let me, I'm using giving, not because this is a giving lesson. It's just, it's just an easy understanding. Giving, you know what? We, we, there's a lot of us that'll give. We give what we can afford. And I'm going to give after I've taken care of everything else. You see, that is giving in my own power. Somebody else could give half of what I'm giving. But when they give that, they give it first. And they trust God to make the rest of the paycheck do what it's supposed to do throughout the month. They trust God to provide for the resources they need. They're depending upon God's ability, not their own. You see the difference? One act of giving is a deposit in heaven, lasts for all eternity. That other act of giving where I'm just giving out of what I can afford, what I can do, what I can do without, Jesus spews that out of his mouth. And folks, we can go from giving to witnessing to serving. Where do we serve? Where I feel comfortable, where it doesn't cost me anything, where where I can slide. We don't like to be in places where we're uncomfortable, but folks, when we're uncomfortable, that's when we're depending upon the Lord. That's what counts forever. And think of the gift that Jesus holds out here, a throne. Like my money, like my strength, like my brains can somehow do something that warrants me a throne in heaven. And I have no ability. I have nothing to bring to the table. And Jesus says, man, while you're running around here, working around trying to do all this, I'm preparing for you a throne where you rule for eternity. Jesus is working on something eternal, something big, and he's watching us run around in our little activities. Folks, remember, it's not about the activity. The Bible's not against you. God's not against you and me working and wanting to get a big hit and a touchdown and and to make a living and to pay bills and to have fun and to achieve and to accomplish. Oh, but if we did all of those same things in a way that desires to honor the Lord, in a way that we had to depend upon him. Oh, he who has ears needs to listen. Two churches, two challenges. One church challenged love, not just duty. And again, duty's not a bad word, but love should be driving what I do. It's not, what do I have to do? What can't I do? It's, hey, what can I do? What can I do today? What can I do in in my life in Christ for him? The second church, what's our means for what we do? How are we making happen what we think of as the Christian life and serving him? Am I putting myself in a place where I have to depend upon him? Or am I doing what, what I can do without him? You know, folks, when, when love is our motive and faith is our means, Now, here's why these messages come first. Love and faith, I've got nothing to fear about what the rest of Revelation holds. He who has ears, let him hear. As Peter would say, wow, in light of what I've just learned, what kind of person should I be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we're looking at issues of the heart and uh, it can be difficult to navigate that to understand what's really there, what's really going on. Lord, help me to want to know. 
help me to want to know if if love is really driving me and and help me see if I'm really depending upon you or I'm just making the Christian life something I'll do in my own way, my own time. Oh, Lord, I, I, I want to be a life driven by your love. And I, and I want to be in a place where it won't happen unless you show up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a great week.